The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are going to continue our series through the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 7, and we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. We haven't been preaching every verse by verse, but we've been looking at all the moments where Jesus has an individual encounter with somebody. Um, we have seen how he has uh, cleansed a man of leprosy. We've seen how he has uh, a bit of a day in the life of Jesus, how he's miraculously healed people, how he's healed people without even being on the scene. But more than just kind of looking at his healings one at a time, we actually are seeing more of who Jesus is. So we're calling this series Redemption Face-to-Face, -face, Encountering the Real Jesus, because we are meeting Jesus through these situations and these circumstances, and we are meeting who he is and what he is about and learning more about him as we are going through this. So we are picking up. Last week we looked at this encounter with Jesus and the centurion and the miraculous healing of the centurion's servant. So we're picking up at verse 11 uh, in chapter 7 with um, Jesus and this widow and her dead son. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read the verses, read our section. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will look at this more deeply to learn who Jesus is. So, soon after Jesus had healed the centurion's servant, we pick up in verse 11, soon afterward, he, that's Jesus, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. He drew near to the gate of the town. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word from you. We thank you for the story about Jesus. We ask that you would give us your spirit now afresh, that we would learn more of who Jesus is and delight in your mercy to us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Mercy is not uh, really in style these days. I don't know if you have uh, picked this up by just kind of being alive and watching your Facebook feed and watching the news, but mercy is not really like a, something that we celebrate a lot. Um, I don't know if you've kept up with kind of the uh, you know, pop literature, pop novels, like the books that are really popular, the movies that are really popular, but often what I see when I uh, read them or I watch the movies um, occasionally, uh, there is just this regular theme to me of revenge and justice and kind of like this mechanical, you get what you deserve type thing. Um, there's been a number of books that have hit the bestsellers lately, and I will occasionally pick them up just to kind of see, you know, okay, what's everybody kind of fascinated by? And um, it's just amazing to see that, I mean, at the, at the heart of these stories is, um, as much as we want to be a culture that is loving and open and accepting, in the heart of these stories is a story of, you wronged me, and I'm going to get you back, and we celebrate the getting the back. You know, we celebrate getting revenge. And uh, even just today, I was w watching my newsfeed, and there was an editor of a newspaper who was a part of some really bad stuff when he was a teenager, and he's like in his 40s or 50s now, and he's been put on leave because somebody has discovered that he was a part of all this bad stuff like 30 years ago. And um, we, we love people getting what they deserve. It's kind of what I observe in our culture a lot. And so when we do see moments where people miraculously forgive people or they show mercy to other people, it's, it's stunning and it's shocking. And we, we do not see a lot of this whole idea of mercy happening around us. Um, 
But that's exactly this whole idea of mercy is what we find here in this passage with Jesus. Uh, it's pretty obvious at the front of it, but what we are encountering here is all of these expectations of what people think should happen, kind of like what we think should happen is that people should get what they deserve, right? Those are the expectations of the way the world works. You cut me off in traffic, and then I want to see you pulled over by the cop a mile down the road, right? We expect to see people get what they deserve. Um, and here, we see Jesus' compassion, we see his mercy, and it is shocking because it's not what people deserve. Mercy is receiving what you do not deserve, and we see that through this entire passage. We see it constantly addressing us from this passage, and what we see, the payoff, you know, the, the payload of this passage is that, we are, that God is offering to us to enjoy his unexpected mercy, because we don't expect mercy. I mean, if you presume upon mercy, maybe that's one thing, but we don't expect mercy when we know who we are, or we know the circumstances that seem so crippling. But we see through this passage that Jesus, we, and Jesus' mercy to this woman and the way that people respond to his mercy around him, that we are, we are to enjoy God's unexpected mercy to us. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through this passage um, and we're going to see we're going to see this woman's experience and the mercy of Christ's compassion to her. And we're going to see how mercy restores her. And we're going to see how mercy surprises and shocks us. And so as we are looking at this passage to enjoy God's mercy, trying to understand God's mercy, we're just going to see three things. We're just going to see that mercy feels, that mercy restores, and that mercy surprises. I'm not an overly complex preacher, <laughs> just trying to keep it real simple. So, yeah. so, let's look at this passage that is shot through with mercy, and we are going to pick up in verse 11, and we're going to see, starting with first thing, mercy feels. So soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And, he, and as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. He was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Actually, you know, uh, what I wanted to do to get us to understand this passage is there's a bit of a plug for the women's book study. But Paul Miller actually talked about this. And I felt like his, just listen to how he described the situation with this woman. Just how he draws us into the drama of who she is. Because here, what's really at, at the focus of this passage, of these first few verses, is not so much the dead son but this woman who has lost everything. She is a widow. So she, she's already done one burial. And now this is, her, this is her only son. So this is a second burial. And this is the sort of burial that is, uh, it is tragic. So here's what, here's what Paul Miller has to say about this. Her son, her only son has died. And this is not the first time she has buried a loved one. She is a widow. The greatest joy for a Jewish woman was to bear a son, to lose a son, the greatest sorrow. The loss of her husband and only son means a life of poverty. With them, she has lost the equivalent of her pension, social security, and Medicare. Guilt is likely compounding her despair as the premature death of a child was believed to be the punishment for sin. Possibly the town gossips were wagging their heads, wondering what she did to deserve losing everything. I mean, just stop there. Can you imagine kind of drawing you in? Here's this woman walking out, you know, in, in probably around this time of the day, and this is what is following her out. Jewish funerals were usually held at 6 in the evening, so right about now, at the end of the, of the day's work was done. Earlier in the day, 
She had laid her son's body on the floor of her home, groomed his hair, dressed him in the best clothes she could find, and then placed his body on an open wicker basket, face up, arms folded. The town had gathered at her door to help bury her son. The woman led the procession because the Jews believed that, it, that a woman's sin brought death into the world, so women should lead it out, adding shame to the sorrow. As the funeral procession winds through the streets, many symbolically share the mother's burden by taking their turn holding the basket. Paid mourners and flute players followed in the rear, chanting, weep with them all, you who are bitter of heart. Most of the 500 or so people from Nain would have come because the loss was so significant. So you get a sense of what's going on here. We read this and it's just, okay, yeah, it's tragic. We see funeral processions go by, but you understand what's going on here. She has lost everything. She is in absolute ruins, and she's going to leave this funeral and go home to an empty house with an empty tomorrow. This is, this is a woman that you might say is half dead. She is already gone for this world. Everything that she hopes in and loves and holds dear has been taken away from her. And this is what Jesus walks up on. So Jesus is probably pulling in tow a crowd of about a thousand people, walking up to a crowd of about 500 people. But this crowd of, you know, 1,500 so people is zeroed in between this woman and Jesus. And it says here, he drew near to the gate of the town, verse 12, behold a man, and you see at the end of the verse, That Jesus, verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her. So this is what the Lord is seeing. He is walking up, and he does not see a crowd. He does not see just a general funeral. He immediately recognizes. He sees the plight that this woman is in. He sees what's going on, and he has he understands. He understands what's going on in her heart. He understands the trial. He understands what's, what she's going home to. He understands. He sees her. That's what, what we have been seeing as we've been going through these personal encounters with Jesus. We've actually been seeing a great deal of what Jesus sees and what Jesus touches. He, he sees people when they're broken. He sees their need. He sees their plight. He sees the depths of their sorrow and pain. And we can understand this. We can relate to this. This is a couple weeks ago, I was meeting a new guy, and we were talking, and uh, he's not a Christian. He doesn't really believe in God. And we were talking about this whole dynamic of, you know, God exists and who Jesus is. And um, he just said, you know, if the question I've always had is, if God really... If God existed, if Jesus was real, why didn't he leave us the formula to get rid of cancer? Why didn't he, why doesn't he just walk through you know, the ER at Elliott Hospital and put them out of business? You know, like, why doesn't God do that? And that, you know, this sense of like, why, why the, why the pain, why the suffering, what is this all about? I mean, I think that those are understandable questions. Those are questions I think that, that the Bible itself even gives voice to at times. We're reading through the Psalms, right? And the Psalms at times are very explicit about, God, why is this pain happening? That is a, a legitimate question, and there are lots of things to say about that. But the thing that I want to draw our attention to is that what often happens in suffering is that we feel like God um, has caused this and God does not care. But you see... Here is Jesus walking up on this town, and while he is the Son of God, he is also a man, and he walks up and he sees this particular woman and her particular needs and her particular trial and pain. He has compassion on her personally. It's not just kind of like, oh, that's a really sad, that's really sad that happened, you know? Okay. He doesn't walk by. He sees her. He sees her particular needs. He sees her particular sorrows. He sees her particular 
trials. God, you see, while we want to say that God exists, but he doesn't care, this is really what we're seeing is that God sees and he feels, Jesus feels this woman's sorrow and pain and the turmoil that is in her life, everything that has happened, Jesus feels the problem. He does not just see it from a distance and walk by. So he has a thousand people with him and there's 500 people in front of him. He sees with particular interest this woman's sorrow and he feels, he feels compassion for her. He had compassion on her. Verse 13, he had compassion. Jesus sees the suffering and pain that we experience in our lives. There's a, there's a temptation, I, I'm sure if you have walked through any difficulty, you have thought this phrase, nobody understands. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody knows what it's like to be me. Now, on a, on a one sin, all sin and all pain is common to everybody. Every, everybody has gone through probably what you're going through, but even, even to the extent that you have an experience a unique experience of pain and suffering that is, that's true. I mean, there, there is nobody else like you to walk through the suffering and pain that you go through. But still, Jesus sees, Jesus knows, he sees this woman, he knows all the aspects of her pain and sorrow that she can't even begin to articulate or understand. And Jesus sees that. He knows, he knows, he knows the depths of the, the pain and sorrow. He sees everything going on. Jesus saw that woman. He sees you. He sees the brokenness and the need. And he has compassion, his mercy for broken and needy and sorrowful sinners is overflowing. It's overflowing so that he sees and moves towards her. He doesn't just kind of stand back. He's not indifferent to pain and suffering. It's because of who he is that Jesus moves towards her. And he doesn't say, stop it. That's not, that's not how Jesus treats pain and suffering. He does not treat it like, okay, stop the crying. That's not when he says, do not weep. He is actually affirming her experience of pain and suffering. He is saying, what you're doing is not simple. He's not saying, crying is bad. Men should cry too. That's not what he said. He is saying, this is absolute tragedy. But because of who Jesus is, and because of his presence, he can give the true hope. He can resolve the pain. He can overturn what is going on. He's affirming her pain, and yet he is offering her mercy. He is offering her the true solution to the problem. The pain he feels the pain and he moves towards it, but he does not give her pat answers. Maybe, maybe this is just a category to be aware of. When we walk through pain and suffering together at King's Cross here or with our friends, we want to be careful to walk alongside people who are suffering to affirm that this is a tragedy. This woman's experience is a tragedy. We want to, we want to walk alongside people and affirm. This is a tragedy. God weeps with this. And yet we want to bring Jesus alongside and, work, and, and bring Jesus into that moment to walk alongside the suffering. Jesus does not expect happy, clappy Christians all the time. It's okay to cry. It's okay to not be okay. But Jesus is coming, coming alongside her because he feels her desperate need. That's what we're seeing, verses 11 to 13, that mercy feels. Mercy feels the pain, feels the drama. That's not the only thing that Jesus does. So that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story for her son. It's not the end of the story for her. It's not the end of the story for what we see with Jesus' mercy. So let's look at, let's pick up at verse 14. We'll see that mercy restores. We're going to see here in verse 14 through 15 that mercy restores. So mercy feels, and we're going to see how mercy restores. Let's pick up in verse 14. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up, began to speak, 
and Jesus gave him his mother. So imagine, imagine the situation here. So here is Jesus, thousand people around him. He has preached one of the best sermons that's ever been preached. He has done miracles that nobody has ever seen done. And he is, people are excited about Jesus. He is walking up to this town, and here comes this, this absolute plight of tragedy. And he sees this woman, he zeroes in, and he comes up, he touches, touches the coffin. It's not a coffin like we would have, but he touches it's a wooden plank. It would have wrapped the body in, 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 um, in linen. would have been kind of like an open casket type of thing. Walks up and he touches it. And you know, this is something about this that we could easily pass over. But by, by Jesus touching it, he is doing something that he did not, A, did not need to do. And it's absolutely shocking because what he's doing is he is making himself unclean, ceremonially unclean, so that he would have had to get this whole wash to be clean. So here's what you have. This is what the, uh, the Book of Numbers has to say about this. Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. Whoever is in the open field and touches someone who has been killed with a sword or who died naturally or touches a human bone or a grave shall be unclean seven days. So here's the deal. So Jesus knows this. He is familiar with the law. He knows the law really well. But he knows that this moment, he knows what he's doing. So to be unclean is not a sin. This means that it's an identification with the brokenness and defilement of the world. And so when Jesus is touching this dead man's body, he is he's becoming unclean. He is identifying with the death that has happened here. He is identifying. He is taking on the pain and suffering. He is taking on the, the reality of the brokenness that's represented in this dead man's body. He is identifying with the pain that is not his own because of his mercy for these people that he wants as his own. So you, if you... If you listen through this book with us, you're hopefully hearing the echo of the gospel here, right? Here is Jesus, pure, and in, he doesn't need to do anything here. He can easily walk by. There's nothing that obligates him to address the situation. Just like there is nothing that obligates God to save us. There's nothing that obligates God to rescue us. But out of Jesus' love for this woman, he moves towards this dead son, and touches the coffin and becomes unclean, takes on the brokenness of that situation so that he can bring the grace of resurrecting power to this, this broken man. Just like we do not deserve God's favor or kindness or mercy to us, and yet God in Jesus comes to us and takes on, Jesus takes on the wrath that we deserve. He takes the place of our sin so that we could receive the life of Jesus in our own souls and become resurrected at his glorification you see, here in these little moments of Jesus reaching out and touching, just like he did with the leper, taking on these things that he does not have to do, but taking on their condition, he is, he is being a parable of the gospel, right? So not only is Jesus teaching with his words, but he is teaching the gospel and how he is living and ministering mercy to these people around him. So you, are you tracking what I'm saying here? Tracking the gospel? This is, this is the gospel, and, and in effect, this... Jesus is taking on what he does not have to take on so that we could be restored to a relationship with God because this boy is going to be restored to his mother because Jesus willingly took on identifying with their pain. See, the gospel, the gospel is all about God taking on the pain that is not his own so that we could be reconciled, so that we could be restored to God. Isaiah 53 says about Jesus that he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows grief. This is a fulfillment of Scripture that Jesus does not merely come and get the duty done. He comes and expresses the heart of God. He comes and expresses the love of God, the mercy of God. And he takes on the pain, the sorrow, the grief that he is, that's not his own. But he takes it on out of love, out of mercy for this woman for us today because he, would lo he loves to restore people into a relationship with God. He takes on the stain of this man's death to restore him to life. He takes on the stain 
of the death in your life. He takes on the stain of the defilement in your life so that you can be restored, so that you could be restored to the arms of a loving Father in heaven. Your mercy takes on other people's burdens. Maybe this is, I don't know what you think about this, but it seems to me that maybe one way that we show that we have been restored to a merciful God is that we mercifully take on other people's burdens. The way God has mercifully taken on our burdens, we mercifully take on other people's burdens. Paul Miller, again, just another plug for this book, Paul Miller says, love often doesn't erase worries. It just shifts them to a different set of shoulders, our own. See, mercy recognizes that there is no obligation here to bear the burden of another person. But out of love for them, because we have been so richly loved, we have received so, such rich mercy from God, we lovingly take on the burdens of other people our own shoulders. That does not mean that we take away the circumstances. We can't take away the cancer that won't go away. We can't take away the struggle and pain. We can't necessarily take away the conflict in the marriage. But we can walk alongside each other. We can walk alongside our neighbors. We can take on mercifully the burdens that we do not have to take on because we love the people around us. We love people in our church. We love our neighbors around us. We eagerly shift the burden onto our own shoulders to care for other people, to be a vessel of mercy because we have received such great mercy. Other burdens, other burdens around you that you can shoulder. Other burdens in your family, other burdens in your neighbors, other burdens at work. Other burdens that you can be mercifully bearing with other people. I don't know, maybe God's bringing somebody to mind, some situation. I recently saw this, this um, what kind of meat to the bone, so to speak. I saw this recently with our, um, our sending church, King of Grace down in Haverhill. Uh, there was a man in, our, in that church for how long had Ken been in, a member there? I'd, close to 10 years, 13 years. So Ken. And Drury was a member there. He used to be a part of the small group here. Um, and uh, God had healed him of cancer you know, 10, 13 years ago. And then the cancer came back with a vengeance about a year ago. And in the last few months of his life, I saw people mercifully bear burdens in their lives that they didn't have to take on. Some people making meals for them people financially, not only providing for them, but helping them get their books in order, mercifully giving time. I saw, uh, I saw the pastoral team uh, mercifully bear the load with Ken and Sue, and uh, guys in the pastoral team would go spend the night at their house because Ken was so afraid of being alone at night. And mercifully bearing that shoulder with them, going over um, Here's a man dying, uh, about to meet Jesus, and all he wants is for somebody to rub his feet. Mercifully bearing the, I mean, at, a, at one level, it just seems such like an indignity to do that, right? But on the other hand, it, it, it is such a joy to watch God's people mercifully respond to burdens that they did not have to bear, so they could they could be a part of bringing life to Ken and Sue in Ken's last days. That's what, that's what happens when, when we bear, when we mercifully take on burdens that we do not have to take on. Just like Jesus comes into this situation and he takes, takes on this burden that he does not have to take on. Because of his mercy for this family and this situation, he gives life to them. He takes on the burden of their need and he brings life. I mean, he quite literally, I mean, brings a dead man to life. When we take on the burdens of other people around us, we take on their burdens onto our own shoulders. We are bringing life into their lives. We are bringing life, gracious life that they did not have otherwise. It restores life to them that they did not deserve. That's the whole point of mercy, right? We get what we don't deserve. We are bringing life. And so Jesus here 
You see, I, I just love how he does this. He goes to verse 14, then he came up and touched the bearer, and the, bear, the bearer stood still. And Jesus does not just say, be healed or arise. He addresses him personally. Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man stood up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. You see, Jesus addresses us personally. His love does not stop at death. His love for this boy, his love for this woman, his love for you cannot be separated by death, by even the most finality, the, the most final thing that we have, right? Death is the most final. There's not 100% success rate on death. But Jesus' love cannot be held back from being personal for this boy and personal for you, even by the grip of death. I mean, look, if you know your Bible, you are thinking right now of Romans 8, right? Let's find it. I'm looking. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It is written for your sake. We are all being killed all day long. We regard as sheep for slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God in Christ Jesus cannot be stopped even by the grip of death, even by the grips of addiction, even by the grips of pain and pride and suffering and sorrow and depression. All of those things cannot stop the voice of Jesus saying, Arise to life. Nothing can keep you from the love, from the mercy of Christ. Nothing can separate you. There is nothing that can stand as a wall between you and Jesus because just as we see here with this man, death was the wall between him and the living Christ, and Jesus broke through it with a simple word from his mouth. He broke in with mercy. He restored with mercy by the mere utterance of his mouth. It is because of his mercy to you, it is because of his mercy to this woman that, his, that, that her hopes and dreams and status and security are all restored, and it is because of his mercy to you that your hope and security for the future of life with God it's, it's secure. There's nothing. I mean, you lose your job. Your family dies. But the love of Christ, which sustains the universe, will hold you. His mercy comes and sits right there with you so that nothing can separate you from him so that you can be restored to the living God. And if you have God, though you have nothing else in the world, you have the world has everything else. There is nothing that can keep you from him. So we have seen in this story how love, how mercy feels. So Jesus feels the pain of the situation. How mercy restores, how Jesus, because of his mercy, restores the son, restores us to a relationship with God. And then we're going to see here how mercy, if it hasn't already, how mercy surprises you. Maybe this just seems like an obvious point, but mercy surprises. Mercy, again, what we do not, getting what we do not deserve because of God's gracious love to us. Mercy, we see how mercy surprises because we see that fear, verse 16, fear sees them all, and they all glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. No kidding. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country, and so you see here, an obvious point, but they're surprised. They have never seen this before. They have never seen this type of power. They've never seen this type of compassion. They have never seen God step in in such a powerful way as to reverse the grip of death. And it is not just, you see, when Jesus does this, this is a much more communal culture than what we are used to. Kind of all kind of get into our homes, turn on the TV, 
kind of hunkered down. This was a communal miracle. Jesus was not merely just restoring this family so that somebody could be the breadwinner for this mother, but he was reversing. Remember how we talked about this curse of shame? What had this woman done? What had she done to have won the lottery for this amount of pain to come to her life? But Jesus was restoring her to her culture, to her, to her community, and he was restoring the grace of God to this community. There wasn't anything that she had done to deserve this. And yet, Jesus confronted that and showed that it is God who ruled over this family, God who ruled over this, this town, and Jesus restored God's power to them. And what they are thinking when they are seeing this go on, they are good Jews, they have been to um, the temple every uh, Saturday, probably their entire lives, and they have heard the Old Testament stories, and they are thinking, this has not happened since Elijah and Elijah. This has not happened in like 800 years. Like, this is a big deal. Like, this has not happened since the big dogs of the prophets were around, and those guys, when they did these miracles, so both Elijah and Elijah raised, very similar to the story, they raised widows' sons from the grave. But the way they did it, they had to beg God with prayer. They had to do prostrations on the dead body. They were just doing all these exercises to get the miracle to happen. And yet here comes Jesus, and all he does is he touches the coffin and he says, wake up. I mean, there's a huge difference, right? I mean, that's, you're, but still, they, I mean, you can imagine your mind being blown, you know, more than the Cubs, you know, reversing the curse this year. May the Lord grant it to happen. But... It is just, it is like a miracle that you could never imagine happening. And yet here Jesus does with the power of his word. The power of his word. He comes in, and so they are just, they're doing the, you know, one plus one equals two. This guy is up there with those two, and that's a big deal. This is top three prophets of all time, you know. Kanye West can't even step in on this one, you know. <laughs> that's a positive. Sorry. I couldn't resist. Sorry. But you see, Jesus, Jesus surprises them with his mercy, and it, it looks at praise. They, are, they praise God. And you know, who is this prophet that has risen among us? And they speak more truly than they know. God has visited his people. This is a big deal. They are enjoying the mercy of God. God's unexpected mercy to them. They are enjoying it. They are surprised by it. And the same is true for us when we worship, when we raise our hands, when we are singing songs, we are enjoying God's unexpected mercy to us. We respond with praise. We respond with extolling who he is, with talking about how great God is. We were just saying how great is our God. That is because we, have been, we are enjoying God's unexpected mercy to us. You wonder why we're singing loudly. If you're wondering why we're raising our hands, it's because we are enjoying God's unexpected mercy to us. But... This is not the only surprise. There, there are some confused surprises that respond to Jesus in this situation. Jesus responds, uh, Jesus surprises them with his mercy and they pray to him, but then we're just going to kind of glance over. I'm not going to really kind of delve into these verses, but I just, wanted to, I just wanted to acknowledge what they are pointing to here. So what happens here is that Jesus, his Reputation, I mean, just goes, everybody goes bananas, right? They just, it just goes everywhere. I mean, if he, if he wasn't popular before, I mean, basically, if he, if he hadn't written, you know, like, you know, platinum selling records back to back, I mean, this is like the most platinum he could have ever written. I mean, it was like huge. He raised a dead boy from the grave. And so here we go. Verse 18, the disciples of John reported all this, all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples, to him sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you are you the one are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? And when the man had come when the men had come to him, this to Jesus, when they came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, 
The deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended with me. So, I mean, here's the deal. John the Baptist is surprised to hear, I mean, John, John has endorsed Jesus. He knows who Jesus is, this is the, this is the guy, Everybody looked to him. He's the Lamb of God. And yet here he is seeing Jesus and how he's doing the mercy of God, how he's showing the mercy of God to these people. And he's like, doesn't, I, I, I don't get it. I, I thought you were supposed to bring like a kingdom and stuff. Like, I, it just doesn't quite, doesn't quite make sense. I mean, even, even good guys can be confused at times. Is Jesus, Jesus the Messiah? And so what, what does Jesus do? He does this, you know, he basically kind of says, look at my resume. But it's not just kind of like any old resume. This is, we are increasingly beginning to see how Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. And when Jesus says, look at my resume, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the good news preached to them. Jesus is, is pulling almost directly from Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And then in Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the broken heart, or proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This boy who is bound by death will not be stopped from being raised from the dead, by the power of Jesus, which surprises John, and then Jesus points back to the Old Testament prophecy to say, listen, I am fulfilling God's mercy to his people in God's own way, and the way God intends to reveal himself. See, John is confused, John is perplexed, because mercy often perplexes us, it makes us, it's not what we expect, right? Remember how we were talking about ex expectations before, we're just we live in a world that expects the mechanics of justice to crush people. And here is Jesus. His mercy to this boy, his mercy to all these other people. It even it confuses John the Baptist. It confuses us to understand the ways of God. His mercy, his mercy is governed by God himself. He will show mercy to whom he wants, how he wants. So then we see just to kind of keep going with the picking up back in Luke, because we want to see all, all these responses to the surprising mercy of Jesus. When John's messages had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaking in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing behind the... Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's court. What, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one whom is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, not is greater than John, yet to the one, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the, the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, just, just to pause. I mean, do you just remember how often Luke is going out of his way to mention the outcast? And those people despised by the culture, despised by the people, that they are the ones responding. And the tax collectors too, and they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to one another, we played the flute for you, and we did not, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you said, and you say he is a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her children. See, the Pharisees and John the Baptist were both surprised by Jesus because it's not what they were expecting with mercy. The Pharisees were surprised by Jesus' mercy to the tax collectors and sinners, to the lame, to the dead, to the broken, to the weary, because Jesus came and his mercy felt their need. His mercy restored them 
through health and life with God. See, Jesus confronted their expectations. On the one hand, you had John the Baptist, who was like a monk, uh, not celebrating life at all, and they complained about John the Baptist. And you had Jesus coming with his party, and they're complaining about Jesus having his party with all these people they shouldn't be having a party with. But Jesus' mercy knows no bounds. Jesus does not discriminate with his mercy. His mercy will receive anybody that you cannot imagine Jesus' mercy going to. You see, today we are in this, you know, we are increasingly seeing how the culture is embattled against Christian principles and values, and the, and the hesitation can be Jesus loves everybody but them. But I want you to know that Jesus' love and mercy extends even to the most extreme, sexually diverse population that we could possibly imagine. People who are of all walks of life, Jesus' mercy reaches out to them too. Jesus' mercy reaches out to the addicts on our street that we can't we just get so annoyed because the cars keep coming up to their driveway and picking 20 visits a day. Jesus' mercy goes to them too. Jesus' mercy goes to them because he has been so gracious as to give his mercy to you. You have received the mercy of God. You, whom Jesus sees the deep, dark recesses of your own soul, he has given you mercy. He has shown you mercy. He has walked up, as it were, to your gravesite and taken on your defilement so that you could be raised to life. Are we, are, we, are we people who are shaped by this mercy? Are we people who, who enjoy this mercy? Do we delight in this mercy? I, I think we feel this mercy most deeply when we confess our own sin. I have experienced this on a uh, number of occasions. There are specific moments where I have had to go to Michelle, go to my boys, go to the pastors over me, and confess my sin. Confess how I have had anger or lust or bitterness or rage in my own heart. And it is, there are moments sometimes that are crystal clear in me because mercy in those moments becomes so much sweeter because I, everything in me hates to confess my sin, hates to come to other people. Because what I, in my own mind, just like we would question the goodness of God in suffering, my own mind when it comes time to confess sin is, I'm going to get what I deserve. I'm going to get what I deserve from this person. They are going to, as I deserve, yell at me and forsake me. And every moment that I have come to somebody, to Michelle, my pastors, to you guys, confess my sin, I have received unspeakable grace unspeakable kindness, the kind of kindness that is only evidenced by people who have received the mercy of the living God and been shaped by it to give me what I do not deserve, to be kind to me and to forgive me when I have personally offended people, to forgive me of my sin. I think that when we are shaped by this, by this mercy in Christ that it comes in and surprises us because he has, of all people, of all people me, of all people you, he has been merciful to you, to me. We are shaped by that. It, and you know, a, a fresh illustration, David Pickney is going to be here preaching next week. And when I think about the, the way mercy, I see this surprising mercy in David's life. There was, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago, there was a, David had befriended a man in jail who was there as, as a murderer. He had killed a teenage boy, and David had befriended him and was sharing Jesus with him. And when this man was released from prison, he, he needed somebody's mercy to help him get him on his feet. He needed a place to go. And this is all in the paper, so this is not like revealing like a private conversation with David, but. David opened his home to this man to receive him in because David, David had been affected by mercy. David knew mercy. David had received the mercy of God to him. A man who had, you know, David's a great guy. 
But I always say that David's probably, just like me, wanted been angry in people from time to time, which is murder in his own heart. And yet, here is David receiving this man into his home, showing mercy to him. And the reason that it was all in the papers is because people were up in arms. They were, how could you do this? Why would you care about him? How would you show mercy to him? It was, I mean, I think it hit like the national news. I mean, it was a huge deal that here was this moment of mercy, this moment where David had showed mercy to this man who was in absolute poverty, just like this woman who needed, had no claim on mercy. And yet David showed mercy to him because David had been surprised and deeply affected and shaped by the mercy of God. He enjoyed the unexpected mercy of God, and that's why he was merciful. And so when these people, they say in verse 16, God has visited his people, boy, do they speak more true than they realize. God had visited his people. God had brought his mercy near. God had touched them with his mercy. God had come in the person of Jesus Christ to reveal his mercy to them. God, in Jesus, is coming to the people like us who are outcasts so that we could be received, so that we could be known by the living God. God sees you. God knows you. He brings his mercy near to you. He feels the pain of who you are, the pain of your need, the pain of your brokenness, the pain of your sin. He restored you by his mercy through the mercy, merciful death of Christ on your behalf, so that you could be surprised and enjoy, enjoy forever the mercy of God in Jesus. So maybe you are, maybe you have experienced, maybe not a physical death, but a, a metaphorical death. Maybe there, maybe there's death that you're. That if you were to take a moment, think maybe it's a particular way in which you spend this last week. Maybe it's a relationship that you've broken. Maybe it is a long-standing pattern. Maybe it is something from this week. Something in your life where you would just say, that is dead. There's death in that. It is wrought through. There's no life of God there. I think God's mercy to you would be Repent and trust. Ask God. God, you see, you know, you you know this. God knows this deeper, this situation in your life deeper than you know. And if He is here in Jesus right now to give you mercy, give you fresh mercy, to touch you with mercy, because He sees your need, He knows the depth of your need. He is extending His merciful hand to you, so that in Jesus feels your pain, whose mercy feels your pain, whose mercy restores you to God, so that you might be surprised and enjoy God's unexpected mercy for you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for how you have given us mercy in Jesus. We do not deserve your kindness to us, God. And you come to us You reach out your hand in Jesus and you restore us to yourself. Ask you would help us to taste afresh of this mercy, this goodness to us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.